Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to the PR show. PR is an industry that has an appalling record of racial diversity and the situation has been getting worse. In recent years, the proportion of BAME professionals has dropped from 11% in 2015 to 8% last year. In leadership ranks, the figures are even more dire, often in the low single digits. A groundbreaking new study by the CIPR, which tracked the careers of 17 BAME professionals, found systemic racism in PR. BAME PR talent commonly experience microaggressions, non-inclusive cultures, a lack of opportunities and other barriers that have led to a large number leaving agencies and setting up their own consultancies. The good news is that help is at hand. BME PR Pro's founder, Elizabeth Bananuka, a trailblazer in promoting racial diversity in the industry, recently set up a new scheme called The Blueprint. This initiative requires agencies to sign up to 23 commitments to improve the ethnic diversity of their workforces. Joining me today to discuss the scheme and diversity in PR are leaders of the first three agencies who have gained Blueprint accreditation. I'd like to welcome Blurred CEO and co-founder, Nick Govier. Infusion, Infusion Communications Managing Director, Sarah Hawthorne. Hi there. And Manifest Brand Strategy Director, Julian Obubo. Hello. Thank you all for joining us. To begin with, Nick, can you give our listeners a rundown of what the blueprint is and how long you've been part of this scheme? A couple of years now, actually. I joined the advisory board of BME PR Pros. Um, I was asked by Elizabeth to, to you know, help deal with this systemic problem. Um, and I think we started talking about the blueprint maybe a, a year ago, correct me if I'm wrong, um, fellow podcasters, in terms of creating something that would be an accredited mark and something that people could aspire to. Um, so it was actually a long time before Black Lives Matters and, and she actually 
asked a group of us to be the first people to kind of go through it again my good three or four five months ago I think it was um, and, and during that process and actually after we'd all submitted is when everything kind of massively kicked off globally but the timing is has been wonderful in terms of it just being really on everybody's radar properly. I mean, it's horrendous that we need to have something like Black Lives Matters to make people talk about the stuff, but it, it certainly um, landed this initiative with a bang. Okay. Before we sort of move into the nuts and bolts of the program, I'd like to ask Julian why the blueprint is so important for the PR industry today. Yeah, no, I think it, it's important because largely uh, the industry has talked the talk but hasn't walked the walk. Um, and the blueprint um, brings in a level of of accountability of um, of measurable targets um, that is vital for the industry. Um, but it also serves as a bit of a signpost as well for for Bain talent to know which agencies, which companies are actually doing the hard work of creating diverse and inclusive um, cultures. Um, so yeah, it, it works to make us more accountable and therefore more diverse, but also helps pull in talent, which we know is out there. It's, it's, it's needed. In terms of the kite market itself and the program, why was this sort of structure chosen, um, having this sort of 23 commitments and, and then receiving kite marketing? Why, why did you decide as a group to, to go down that path? Because I think that's the best way of, of, of getting accountability. Um, uh, and of getting some kind of uniformity that most companies can agree on and and, and sign up to and work toward, um, because one of the, the issues of of sort of the past sort of five ten years is people having great ideas but no one actually coming together to put it all down down into right, this is the best pathway forward. Um, so uh, the, I'm sure there I'm sure there are many ways of tackling diversity that don't necessarily have to include commitments. Uh, but the minute you have commitment, you have accountability, you have um, uh, a, a, a clear way of, of measuring what's been done and what needs to be done. I think that's the the best and the, and the fastest way of, of actually engineering change. Okay, let's take a deep dive into the accreditation process. Now, Blurred and Infusion received ally status, while Manifest was awarded the blueprint kite mark. I'll come to Manifest in a moment, but to begin with, Sarah, can you take us through what Infusion had to do to become an ally? There was um, a really rigorous application form um, that makes you look at every aspect of your operation. So it's not just about your team itself, but it's about the, the culture that you foster, the suppliers that you work with, the training that you have in place. It really requires you to consider all your elements um, about what you're doing in terms of diversity. And it all, what it also does is take into account other aspects. So whilst the Office of the Blueprint is very much focused on racial diversity, I come in it from, and I've been working on some more di um, disability diversity, and there are elements within the form that allow you to express and cover what you've been doing in other areas of, other areas of diversity um, that really contribute to the, the, the statements that you can put in the application form. Um, for us, it was very much about um, not having all the answers, but recognising where those gaps were. So going through the process allows you to see the things that you're missing. 
And from that, when the application is submitted, you then get an action plan put in place for yourself, for your own agency, which is quite bespoke to you. And that really helps you and propels you forward. And it gives you a clear course of action to move on from blueprint ally status. Okay, so in terms of um, how time intensive and, and resource intensive this process was, can you give us a rough idea? Um, it took me, I'd probably say, a good few hours to go through the application form. Um, I did it sort of on an evening, um, sort of outside the agency, um, partly because we were in the middle of the pandemic when I filled it out. Um, and that was, that just happened, you know, we, we actually started the process um, sort of April time when we submitted and we were in lockdown. Um, so getting everything done during that time was probably, it's probably a little bit of an unrealistic um, situation. Um, so it might be different for other agencies now as things are sort of going in a, a more eased direction in terms of lockdown. Um, but I would say a good allocate a good few hours for it, but also make sure that you have um, paperwork or processes in place or um, that you have a good idea of where you are. So you need to do a bit of admin on your own side, um, which maybe takes a good few hours, half a day, depending on the size of your agency, obviously, we are a small agency for someone like Manifest, it would be uh, far more resource intensive, I'm guessing, because there are there are a lot more considerations. If you're mm -hmm. a big agency, it'll be more time intensive. If you're smaller, probably you're looking at maybe half a day a day. Okay, Nick, can you take us through the experience of Blurred and what, what you needed to do to become an ally? What I was gonna say is I think it very much depends on not just the size of the organization, but how far down the track you are with it. it I mean, I it took me probably a good day actually to do the form um, alone. And importantly, you know, so much of the principles behind this were already embedded in our business, you know, from day one. So really that was just about reporting kind of clearly and succinctly what we, what we already do, but it's something like 44 questions. So it took a long time to do it properly. So anybody who thinks it's just about filling in the form from a standing start, kind of getting ally status and then working forward from there, it, it simply won't work like that. I mean, you have to, you know, believe this in your bones and be doing it already kind of well, even to get, um, definitely to get kind of ally status. To get manifests kind of blueprint, you've got to be kind of excellent at it. So it, it's, it's not simply just about the amount of time you put in it in the application. It's about how much time and energy you've already put into your business um, to date to ensure that you have this stuff in place. Because um, to get to ally status, you need a certain amount of points. And then to get to blueprint, you need a, a further set of points. Um, plus, it's not just about um, the people who submit the application. The entire team have to be behind it and you know, drinking the, the Kool-Aid. Um, because it, it cannot be something that's just in one person's you know, mind or or, or vision and we actually got contributions from lots of people in the team to answer different questions because you know I felt better to ask somebody else what they feel the culture is like than for me to you know dictate that but what I loved about the form is there was a lot of free questions and I'm sure if we compared our three companies entries they would be hugely different because none of us are doing it as a have done this as a tick box exercise it's not like we've looked it up said this is best practice off we go we've all had our own ways of, of introducing this into our business because it's core part of our thinking or our purpose or our you know values. Um, and I know that was very much recognized by the independent judges. And it's just worth actually saying, because I know that you know we've said we've been part of this process. Um, Elizabeth uh, actually wasn't one of the, the judges and it was um, kind of independent group of, I think was it four or five um, judges 
feel there was total um, impartiality. So what I'm saying is if you suddenly think diversity is a good idea now, I wouldn't go for, to, for the blueprint thinking you're going to get it. But what I will say is if you really believe in this stuff and it's already part of your culture, um, doing the blueprint points out those blind spots. Like Sarah said, you know, there were whole things I had never even considered. Um, and now having done it and having critically engaged with the subject matter, I'm really aware of the gaps that we have and how far we've still got to go. But it's great because it's motivated the, the entire team and our desire to be better and do better and be, you know, part of the solution is, is totally there. Okay, it sounds like it's also quite a valuable auditing exercise as well. Julian, about Manifest's experience of becoming the first PR agency to receive the Blueprint Kite Mark, can you take us through that? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo a lot of what Nick has said, that it is it is about, um, I guess, showcasing some of the work and some of the values and some of the, uh, some of the initiatives that have already been put in place um, in, in an agency prior to um, applying for the blueprint, so it's it's uh, it's an award that 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 is given at, at this point to um, demonstrate that that a team has you know embedded diversity and inclusion as part of the company culture prior to to um, to even starting that process. So yes, if if diversity and inclusion is is something that the agency just woke up to um, you know yesterday and wants to to do this, that's probably not a good idea. Um, and we didn't apply for this in a, I guess, self-congratulatory way of saying, all right, we, we were doing good work here, so it'd be great to get a stamp of approval. For us, it was a way to actually get us to be more accountable. I know I'm gonna keep using, using that word, but it was a way to actually get us to be more accountable to those commitments to ensure that within our teams, we're doing better measurement. Uh, we're talking about it a lot more frequently um, and we're getting more people across the agency from senior management sort of down to interns um, really on board with this process. Um, so getting the full mark status w was great, but it's a, it's a starting point. Um, okay. That's what we're looking at. Can I, can I just ask, in terms of the whole process, were there specific areas that you found a bit more challenging than others? And were there certain areas that might be perceived as sort of easier wins for an agency to really drive change? Um, I think for us, the the parts that were more challenging, um, and it might be for, for, for others, I don't know, but it was keeping our um, suppliers and clients um keeping them as invested in the conversation, as invested in moving diversity and inclusion forward as, as we are. So a sense of, of, mutual, of mutual accountability, I think, um, is, is the bit in the, um, in the application process that we know we have to do a lot more work on. Um, we, we talk a, a lot in the industry about pipeline and about recruitment and the issues there. Uh, and I think a lot of agencies collectively um, can have power to actually start moving things in, in, the, in the recruitment side of things. Um, and that comes with having a collective understanding of what the problem is and moving as one or moving, you know, as an organization uh, to change things. And I think the, the blueprint does help that. It does help us identify the problem and um, it, it gives us strategies to be able to, you know, 
start changing things on the other side of the eye. Mm. Were there any specific areas that were slightly you know, easier in terms of implementation or, or things that you think other agencies could do that would, would, would have a, a quicker impact on, on, on driving change? Uh, easy. It's, uh, I probably wouldn't... I word easy, but just sort of, I don't know, like obviously having those conversations with clients is going to be... Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, I think there's a lots of questions on an existing company culture. Um, so company cultures that um, prioritize inclusivity, that um, prioritize people being able to bring their full selves to work, and, and examples of those. Um, I think that's those are areas that that companies can can begin working on, um, and. Um, it's more of it's more of an audit of, of of existing cultural practices that are then reported in that in that um, uh, application process. Okay, so you've all received some form of accreditation, uh, but as you all point out, it really is a starting point. What happens next, and and how do you sort of constantly evolve, Nick? So as Sarah said, we got given a um, a kind of roadmap, I guess, which. Uh, looks at certain areas where perhaps we had some blind spots or, or spots or needed to get um, better. And then there are various um, points in the next uh, 12 months where we have to hit certain um, uh, deadlines, essentially. So, for example, there were some aspects of our recruitment process um, which weren't quite right. So we've got a certain deadline to get that sorted. And that's what I mean by sometimes it's just these simple blind spots. Like we use the word chemistry as part of one of our um our really we have an incredibly rigorous interview process where we always have at least two people where the last interview is always done by our coach um who, which is purely based on values and alignment with purpose you know where you think this is already like best in class and then you realize actually by using a simple word in that first interview like um chemistry how that immediately um can put us in a position of, of not being um, truly open to different kind of cultures. So it's things like that. And that's brilliant because I'd never thought about it and neither had my team. Um, so what we've got to do is go through and follow the advice um, um, to, to make ourselves better. Plus there's some training, there's a blueprint training session going in, which is from 10 till four on a Friday for it. In our case, the entire team, I think it's 16 people are allowed um, per session. Um, and and that's so helpful because, like I said, sometimes you just don't know <laughs> what you don't know. Um, and you know, even with diversity within your own teams, it's not always a, a conversation that people may have raised that something may have felt them made them feel uncomfortable, or maybe it didn't make them feel uncomfortable because our interpretation of one thing is different to somebody else's. But that's what's been so brilliant, um, and it's great because we we already have some things in place, like you know set behaviors of what we expect from people but you know now that there's also as Julian said go to our clients and our clients have to sign those alongside signing a contract if this is what we expect from you and if we don't you know get this then we won't we will no longer be working with you but I think because of the types of companies we already work with because we work with businesses that are um, committed to the UN sustainable development goals most of our, our you know clients are naturally quite good in those um areas but it also forces them to understand who we are and what we expect from them so it's it's great and getting that um that roadmap has been invaluable and we've got our first uh, meeting early next week with 
senior management team to go through it and push it and prod it and see how much further we can take it. But genuinely, it just it, it made us realise how far we had to go and also what a crucially important role we have now, actually, as the first you know, group of people to have gone through this process to, to encourage others to do it. Okay. Sarah, what about um, infusion? Where are some of the gaps that you'll be now working on? Um, I think a lot of it... Um for us is we are a small team and we don't hire very often because we tend to keep our clients long term so we we have quite a slow growth sorry um so recruitment for us is a big area and whilst you know we have done work to make our um job applications um better in terms of the language so um removing gendered language things like that we've looked at, they can still be improved upon and that's one of our actions as well. Um, and just to come back to your question, sort of on easy things to, or, or, you know, easily implementable things to do, it's something like keeping the blueprint on the agenda, yeah. putting it in the diary and actually having that monthly, quarterly, however long it is, meeting with the whole team. And it is, you know, that was one of the first actions I implemented when we got our plan is I diarised it. And it's on our, you know, our internal communications plan. Every quarter, we review our blueprint plan. Where are we? What have we not achieved? What have we still got to achieve? And that for us is is a simple thing, but it's an important part of it because we can't just stand still on it. We can't get to eight, nine, ten months down the line and go, oh my goodness, we haven't looked at the blueprint. Let's quickly do it because that is not going to work. It is not going to be achievable in any way so it has to stay on the agenda and that's you know to to echo Julian's word is it the accountability and and in that respect it constantly involves the whole team it means that we can take every member of staff and make sure that they are fully embedded in the process and embrace it and work with it because it can't just be me and it can't just be the senior team that leads it it has to run entirely through the organization so for us that's kind of um where where we are kind of looking to go for it at the moment and i think probably our biggest challenge is going to be um our clients that we work with um we work and really um, technical sectors, so not tech so much, but like really niche sectors, but with a lot of engineers. Um, and that sector has its own diversity problem. And, you know, people like Abby Sampson of Renewable UK, who has is, is, is done a lot of work in that field. Um, but it is a big challenge there. So working in that sector, I think for us, that's our, our, our big hurdle to, to overcome. Um, but as sort of Nick says, we, you know, going through this process is a responsibility and it, it's an acceptance of a responsibility that you will be the front runners and you will be looked at and judged on this and you know that's something I think all of us have a really profound understanding of. Okay I just want to ask um, before we move on to broader racism in, in PR do you have any idea how many agencies are currently either going through this blueprint process or sort of looking at it does anyone have any idea? Um, Elizabeth had said, sorry, Nick. No, go for it, Sarah. Go for it. Elizabeth had said that um, they had currently received, I think it was 39 applications. Mm -hmm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Is that right? Yeah. Um and they have um capacity to do um sort of 40 a quarter. So they're almost at capacity for the first intake, but there's going to be four cycles through a year where an agency can can apply. And then it counts for two years, essentially. You get kind of assessed again at the two-year point where you either retain your status, kind of move up or, or lose your status. So that's that's a really key thing, is about having to show improvement. Um, regardless of how good you are at any one point, you've got to show you're pushing it forward. You know, the example she talked about to us recently is it's no good having you know, 20 account execs, for example, if two years later, you still just have 20 account execs. You know, those those team members need to have been seen to have progressed and be doing well, because actually that's so often the problem is people are hired and that's the fear right now that loads of people will be hired because of their skin color, but then they are kind of left on the sidelines and, and not given the support they need to, um, you know, progress through the industry. And that's truthfully why we've found it incredibly hard to recruit because the vast majority of our team have got a minimum of 10 years of experience. They're senior people who's a, who we hire into the business. And it's so much harder than, say, at Unity, my last company, where, it, where we actually were incredibly naturally diverse. But the more senior um, the people you're looking for, the harder it is, because sadly, the system has you know, failed for so many people, as you said, that so many have either you know, gone to um, kind of freelance careers or just left the industry in its entirety. And that's where this becomes challenging because that's simply just not an excuse though. You know, we can't go well just because we can't find enough people. We've continued to hire white people. You know, this is where you just got to dig in and understand that if you're in this, you're going to be in it, you know, for all the challenges and difficulties and to, to find ways of, of making this stuff happen. Okay. Um, I'd like to take the discussion um, further forward into broader issues of racism in PR, but just for our listeners, if they do want to get involved, the website to visit is thisistheblueprint.co.uk. Um, again, that's thisistheblueprint.co.uk. Right, I'd like to move the debate on about um, racism PR more generally and the CIPR's report which found institutional racism in the industry. Um, this report, which was released a couple of weeks ago, detailed cases where famed talent felt under pressure to act and behave like white colleagues. Unconscious bias meant there were not the same opportunities as white colleagues in senior roles, and those lucky enough to land senior roles said they were less influential than their peers. Fame talent felt they had to work twice as hard and were not given prestigious accounts or work. There were reports of microaggressions and cases of more overt racism. In fact, in a recent PR Week feature, Sabrina Lynch, a senior vice president at Taylor, 
said she had experienced the full spectrum of racism and microaggressions in various forms. She said there's not just a lack of BAME representation in the workforce, but a lack of diversity in marketing and comms campaigns. Julian, I just wanted to ask you about your um, view on the lived experience of BAME professionals and the findings of this report. Uh, It's it's sobering. It made for a sobering reading, um, but not surprising. Um, Because... I think for far too long, and it's not just a, a, a PR industry thing, I think it's, it's wider than that. I think for far too long, our approach and our definition of, of, of racism has been so narrow that a lot of people are not aware of a systemic racism or microaggressions or things that are not um, done in bad faith that could still be harmful. Um, and so that, and so you can have a, a situation where um, a black person in, in, in a company does not feel included, does not feel respected, does not feel they can progress, but no one in that company would know because um, they're not just, they, they can't see essentially. Um, and, and a lot of, 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 of what I read in, in the CIPR's um, report was, you know, talent being sort of married in this, uh, culture where if they speak up um, to HR or to line managers that they are penalized for it either directly or in uh, in subtle ways where you know you are put off accounts. I think there was an example of of um, someone actually saying that a client was actually the cause of it. So the client was was um, second guessing their work and their managers looked at it and said, you know, this client is being racist, essentially. But then instead of actually going up to the client and saying, hey, we, we've reviewed this and this is our conclusion, and dealing with that, perhaps firing the client, essentially they took her off the account or they, they started taking meetings in, 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 instead instead of her and she, she eventually left the company. Um, so, it, it, so it shows that even when individuals see the problem, um, the solutions um, are not actually changing anything. The, the solutions essentially protect the status quo. Oof. So that, there has to be a broader understanding of the problem of racism in society. Um, and if there isn't, uh, then we're still going to be here in the next five, five to six years. Because if people do not feel as though um, the kinds of things that they, they do and support and talk about and ignore contribute to systemic racism, system and society then you know not much change not much real change can happen do you have any examples throughout your own career not not necessarily just that might apply to yourself but things that you've observed where, where you've thought wow this is this isn't cool um mainly around the blind spots that um clients have had about diversity and, and about um the fact that campaigns should be inclusive and so you'd, be, you'd have conversations with clients or even in the pitch process where they, they're just not seeing that the, the, their approach or, or, or the brief is so restricted um, and, and sort of not inclusive enough. And when you do bring it up, it becomes uncomfortable because instead of it just being a matter of fact of saying, look, this does not represent the audience you're going for, it becomes oh, are you trying to suggest we're racist? Well, actually, yes, I am. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about why. Um, so so we've had, I've had um, a, f- a few instances of that, of, of trying to broaden 
um, the the creative the creative approach um, and being met with usually usually just discomfort and silence rather than hostility. But you can you know that underneath that is we we really don't want to talk about it um, because we don't know how to talk about it. So I'd rather you uh, you don't bring this up again. Okay, Nick, I'd like to get your views on the report, um, things you've observed in your career, and also that last point about the creative process and how that often um, sort of reinforces these stereotypes. I actually found it horrifying. Um, and I, I mean, I set up my first business when I was in my 20s. So I've worked for myself for so many years now that I, I don't think I have a fair view of what the industry is like because it just never crossed my mind in a bad way and in a good way. Uh, you know, as, as in it would never cross my mind to treat um, you know, non-white people within any of my companies differently because for me, you know, they're just brilliant employees who need to be loved and nurtured like everybody else. So it, it, it and, and when I say for good and for bad, because actually I struggled with that within this application process because I was like, well, no, I haven't singled out X and Y because I wouldn't single anyone out. Do, do, you, do you see what I mean? It's quite difficult to sometimes work through these things. Um, but I think in terms of um, creativity, it's just—it's not just about creativity. It's about the uh, being good at our jobs. You know, it's one of our um, well, our purpose is depth in an industry categorised by the superficial, and part of that is depth of thinking and depth of talent. You simply cannot do do a good job in in this industry unless we have views from divergent, you know, perspectives and views and. And the type of work that we do as well, we're dealing with incredibly complex and difficult um, client challenges, often at a kind of ESG level. And simply, you know, a group of white people, you know, looking sitting in a room trying to address those is never going to properly solve those um, solve those problems. So it's it's this is not Stephen about doing the right thing um, in terms of society and in terms of employment um, of, of the right kinds of people in a diverse workforce no company that doesn't have a diverse workforce can possibly claim to be top of their game because how can they possibly represent you know the views and opinions of different um segments of society and i i really feel for you julian because you know wouldn't it be so much easier if a white person made that point in, in those meetings it's so much harder why does it have to be the black person that has to stand up and point these things out and i think that is what's been good about Black Lives Matters again is is it's been not acceptable to just sit on the sidelines. It's been like it's not enough to you know quietly think that racism is is wrong. You've got to stand up and say the right things. And this process, I mean, we 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 would anyway, genuinely we would anyway. But I think it makes it so much more you know conscious. And it will. And if everybody does, then it doesn't mean the person of color in the room has to be the one that's you know raising the difficult subject matter. Sure, I appreciate that there's probably never been an issue for you, but you obviously, you know, have been involved in the game for a long time. You would have seen a lot of creative um, from other agencies and, and, and work. Do you think there's an issue in terms of diversity in, in some of the work that's produced in the industry? I mean, yeah, definitely. I I think it was Mark Perkins, forgive me, I may have got this wrong, but it was a, a marvellous tweet from Can a couple of years ago that said something like, you know, creativity is in trouble when it's an urban brief and the first response is Stormzy. Mm. It, you know, it just, that just nailed it, didn't it? It was just a bit like, oh, he said, this is an urban brief, let's wheel out Stormzy again, you know? And it was definitely a period of about 18 months then, that's all I ever saw. 
Um, so yes, I think it is. But again, if you if you only have the same source of people around you, you're going to have the same source of um, inspiration and answers. So that's why you know we need diversity. I mean, that's why even at Blurred we have our cohorts of different people who bring really different worldviews and perspectives. And for example, you know, Gina Miller, who took on the government a few years ago over Article 50, she's one of our newest cohort members. She brings a completely unique, you know, perspective to things. Um, and that's essential because, you know, for every major issue there is in, in the world or that we might be grappling um, with for clients, you need differing views and perspectives to truly understand any of those positions. So yes, in short, the answer to your question is, yeah, there, there are too many um, siloed, um, cliched views and that really lazy notion of let's whip out an influencer um, or a celebrity, you know, to front something and all of a sudden that's going to appeal to a, a segment of society. It's, it's laziness, frankly, and, mm. and it's a kind of PR that makes me feel embarrassed to be associated with this industry. Sarah, what have you observed in, in terms of your career? Um, and, and also, what was, what was your response to the report? I have worked with very few individuals from Black, Asian and ethnic minority backgrounds in all honesty because mostly I've always been agency side and all those agencies have been white and I I just can't just it just is so difficult I think for me to just be like why is this the case and it you know it's one of the questions in the in the actual application form was in this particular situation like what would you do and I I didn't have an answer because I'd never been in that situation because I'd never had a diverse team around me and that was so sobering and like like and next says it's a horrifying realization it is and you just go yep this is a hugely hugely you know difficult issue that we we just cannot allow to continue um I think my experiences, like I say, I've always worked in really technical um, industries. So I've worked in construction and manufacturing most of my career, um, and most of that is male dominated and it's male and white. Um, so, like I said, uh, like I said earlier, it, it has its own challenges, and that is reflected in the agencies that they choose to work with. You generally find that you don't get many diverse agencies working for companies in those sectors. Um, so that's something that needs to be addressed in and of itself. And in, in terms of the report, uh, again, I, I echo what my um, Julian and, and Nick have said. It's, it's a horrifying read. It's not surprising. Having been part of the blueprint um, for a couple of years, I wasn't surprised when I read it, but it is a, a terribly sobering read. And one of the things that, that jumped out for me is that we have not fully realised the pressure that we have put our black, Asian and mixed race and ethnic minority colleagues under to fix the diversity problem. Mm. Um, and that was something that really came out in the report was that, you know, they feel it's a responsibility on them and we've just let them take that responsibility. We have not acknowledged the weight that has been put on their shoulders and it is on us now to stand up and say, no, nope, we're not doing that anymore and, and take that pressure off because that cannot continue either. Um, and I suppose culture to go back to something Julian had said earlier and then something that's mentioned in the report is about good fit and culture. Now we always view culture as a one-way street. We never view it as a two-way street. This is our company culture. You come into our culture. But we never open that up and say, 
well, you know, this is sort of how we are, but, you know, you're you, so what can you bring in and make our culture different and and evolve it and advance it? We, we never look at it like that. It's always a very, you know, one way you come in, this is how we are. So I think we have to address that as well. Okay. Uh, Blueprint is obviously one positive step forward in addressing um, diversity in the industry. Uh, finally, I just wanted to ask my guests what else needs to be done to help the industry improve racial diversity. I'll ask each of you. I'll start off with you, Nick. So for me, this might sound like a bit of a strange one, but it's to not be afraid to fail. I am hugely conscious that I'm a, you know, middle-class white woman talking about this incredibly sensitive issue. And even some of the terminology, like, you know, BAME, BME, um, black, personal color, non-white, I am terrified half the time I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I, and I think everyone needs to come together to support the people whose intentions are right, because it would just be so sad if there are people who genuinely wanted to do the right thing, but are so scared of somehow getting some aspect of this wrong. And therefore, none of this moves forward, because this, this isn't about a couple of people trying to really take a huge leap forward. It's, it broke my heart yesterday when I heard from Elizabeth. I know, I know how hard she works, but she put nearly four grand of her own money into this just last month. I mean, that is desperately, desperately sad. The only way we'll deal with this is if everyone, you know, takes a few steps forward. And I just would be, it would just make me so sad if, if, what, people, if what stopped people was that fear of, you know, perhaps using a word that was okay last week, but might not be okay next week. It, does, that, does that make sense? I think people are so, and I'm conscious of it, I'm really conscious of it myself. Mm. And I think we've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. And of course, if it just continues to be loads of hot air, then of course those people, you know, don't deserve to be part of the, the conversation. But I think there are a lot of people who do want to make a difference, but they are, you know, scared that one missed word is going to cause them, you know, so, one badly used word in the wrong context could, um, you know, get them in so much hot water. So I think, I think for me, it's just going for it. You know, if you know, I believe that if you genuinely believe in this stuff, people will give you the benefit of the doubt and that it's okay to ask those questions and to double check if you're pronouncing someone's name right and all you know all the rest of that stuff but if people just are so scared to go for things then um we'll never move forward okay sarah what's the one thing that you think could help the industry improve diversity outside of the blueprint i agree with a lot of what nick said but i also feel we need to have or we need to revisit our um, training and the way we deliver training. Um, as Julian has said, our understanding of racism is this overt um, thing that happens that we can easily identify. Now, I think we need to delve deeper into what microaggressions are and the covert racism and those unexplainable things that we just go, well, I just I didn't give them the job because of something else. We need to be able to explore that in our training and we need to have much more in-depth analysis about racism and its history and we need to bring all of that into the training that we do not just about well here's some unconscious bias training there you go it really has to to dig down and we have to be prepared that that is going to be a difficult session to have um and i think so for me on top of what nick said i think i think revisiting what we train and how we train and, and the subjects that we talk about within that 
Okay. Julian, you have the final word on this. What else can be done to help the industry improve diversity? Um, I'd, I'd echo a lot of, of what Nick and, and Sarah said. Um, I think a key point is also understanding that this has to be beyond the industry. It has to be a personal commitment um, to change and to do better and to change society at large. Because a fear of mine that I have is, is folks just looking at it as, as diversity is something I do in the workplace or diversity is something that's only important when I'm in the office or when I'm dealing with, with uh, an agency rather than why is society this way? Because essentially the, the, the issues we have around diversity in PR and in any industry are simply a reflection of the issues in society. So if there's racism in society, then you're going to have issues around diversity and inclusion in multiple industries within that society. Um, and it, it might sound like too much work to actually say, all right, how do we fix things on a, on a macro scale? But we need to start doing that work. And we need to start really talking about history. We need to start um, engaging with the, the fact the national curriculum does not teach um, students enough about colonialism and slavery because that is just as important to the conversation around diversity, you know, as implicit bias training. Um, and, and I think once folks start to see that this goes beyond, um, beyond work, once they start to see how um, they should be having conversations about racism with their family members, with their partners, with their parents, that's when we're really going to start seeing a large seizure in society, which would definitely trickle down into into um, into conversations we're having in the industry. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a big problem that um, needs big solutions. But every every person has to be responsible on an individual level. Okay. Well, it's great to see some positive efforts to drive change in the industry. But now I guess it's up to agencies in the industry to embrace Blueprint and really put in the effort. Um, I'm hoping we have progress next time we, we have a discussion in, in a year's time. But I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Thank you to Nick, Sarah and Julian for joining us and our production partners, Marketeers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support PR Week's journalism. On behalf of the PR Week team, until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.